Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one's set to drop first thing Wednesday morning, January the 12th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you here on the program. A lot to get into. It was a transfer portal Tuesday for the Alabama Crimson Tide football program. Certainly a lot to talk about in regards to a handful of Alabama players perhaps looking to take the step to move on from the Alabama program. We'll get into some grades for Alabama from Monday night's championship game loss to the Georgia Bulldogs in Indianapolis. We'll also have some men's basketball talk for you. It's a big one. Went down on Tuesday night at Coleman Coliseum with the fourth-ranked Auburn Tigers, the rivals from over in East Georgia, making the trip to Coleman Coliseum to take on an Alabama team looking to rebound from a disappointing loss on the road last weekend to the Missouri Tigers. But we'll start with the news of Tuesday, which, of course, had to do with the transfer portal. And this is also understanding you still have some underclassmen on this Alabama team set to make their intentions known where the NFL draft is concerned. And the deadline for those intentions is January the 17th. So Monday of next week, you essentially have a week window between the college football playoff national championship game and the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft. And obviously Alabama with several players, including Evan Neal, wide receivers, Jamison Williams and John Mechie, who both unfortunately going to be coming off surgically repaired knees. Defensive side of the ball, you've got a couple of inside linebackers in Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa. You've got a safety, a couple of safeties actually, but foremost, you're looking at Jordan Battle at that position. Uh, Remaining eligibility for guys like Josh Job. Uh, you've got on the edge Christopher Allen, who sustained that injury in the season opening win over Miami. So a number of underclassmen, or at least guys with a year or so of eligibility remaining, thanks in large part to the COVID year, that have decisions to make. But what we're going to get into first and foremost on the podcast today is the transfer portal news from Tuesday, and we'll start on the defensive side of the ball with Drew Sanders, the second-year outside linebacker. Had a really nice uh, second year in the program and was a guy following that injury to Christopher Allen in the win over Miami that was thrust into a starting role, responded very well to that. Drew Sanders, more along the lines of a true Sam linebacker, still evolving as a pass rusher, capable as a pass rusher, but not quite to the extent of what Alabama eventually got from Dallas Turner, the outstanding true freshman who amassed eight and a half sacks with all of that production coming in the final seven games of the season. Dallas Turner with five and a half sacks in the final four games of the campaign, including two against Georgia in the championship game on Monday night. So, You're still in a good place at outside linebacker. You'd love to keep everybody because Drew Sanders is a legitimate top three guy in your outside linebacker rotation. Drew, very good when it comes to dropping into coverage uh, and and playing the run game. Uh, But it looks like Drew Sanders, who during his recruitment by Alabama, uh, obviously Oklahoma, as you recall, very involved there. Uh, Texas, his native state. 
Uh, you're going to be thinking about the possibility of one of the in-state schools, Steve Sarkeesian now, with some Alabama ties there in Austin. But, you know, there's also the potential for Jay Valai, an Alabama assistant, to make that move to Oklahoma. That's been talked about a lot. If you've kept up with us there at BamaOnline.com, especially on the roundtable, our premium message board, We've kept you updated on some of those rumblings involving Alabama cornerbacks coach Jay Valai and the potential for him to move on to Norman. So Drew Sanders, a guy coming out of high school that you really liked on either side of the ball. And when you think about this Alabama program right now, uh, it's hard not to continue to think about Drew Sanders in terms of a guy who potentially could have helped on either side of the ball. He did help on defense, but the tight end position. He was very, very good with the ball in his hands. And then you watch a guy like Brock Bowers at Georgia and you think, wow, I wonder if Drew Sanders could be that kind of guy for Alabama. It looks like whatever kind of guy Drew Sanders is going to be, it's going to be someplace else. Very talented player, the former five-star signee for the 2020 recruiting cycle. Also at outside linebacker, King Wakuda, the veteran outside linebacker who really back in the summer you figured was moving on because uh, we had heard that King had essentially made that decision at that point. Instead, he decides to stick around. Veteran presence at outside linebacker, not a guy who saw a lot of playing time at the position, not when you've got Will Anderson, not when you've got Dallas Turner emerging, not when you had... Christopher Allen to start the season. Then you get into also uh, Chris Braswell from a depth perspective. Just a lot of guys right now at outside linebacker. King Wakuda kind of on that Ben Davis track at that position. So sensible that King Wakuda at this point in his career would look to move on to a place where the path to the field at the outside linebacker position might not be as congested as it is at the University of Alabama right now and then when you think about the offensive side of the ball Paul Tyson the great grandson of late great Alabama coach Paul William Bear Bryant he has made the decision to move on Paul Tyson for me is similar to Tyler Johnston not sure if you recall Tyler Johnston quarterback at UAB here in recent years came from Spanish Fort down in South Alabama that was sort of the comparison for me with Paul Johnson when it came to where he was at in terms of potential uh, coming out of uh, Hewitt Trustville High School three years ago, but Paul Tyson in search of a situation that perhaps could get him on the field a little bit quicker. Of course, uh, with Alabama, you still have at least another year with uh, Bryce Young at quarterback. You're bringing in Ty Simpson. Uh, you've got Jalen Milrow. Uh, who may or may not have actually been the next guy in had something happened to Bryce Young. So, again, a sensible move, even with the legacy situation involving Paul Tyson. The guy wants to play. He also worked as the holder for Alabama on the PAT and field goal team. He was replaced after some issues against both LSU and Auburn late in the regular season by James Burnett, the punter who took over the holder duties from Paul Tyson, Jalil Billingsley at the tight end position, a guy who every one of us figured after his 2020 season as a really emerging option in the passing game, especially after Jalen Waddell 
went out with the injury against Tennessee in 2020. You just figured 2020 was going to be a springboard situation for Jalil Billingsley, perhaps to the extent that he would be so productive that he would also be a three and out and move on to the National Football League after the 2021 season. Safe to say that never materialized. There were flashes for Jalil Billingsley, but Monday night was pretty much a summation uh, of Jalil Billingsley's junior season uh, in a nutshell. Just didn't really seem fully engaged, um, just not as impactful. And look, you watch the game Monday night, you can see where Bill O'Brien had Jalil Billingsley as a pretty central piece of the game plan. Uh, And then you lose Jamison Williams early in the second quarter, and you're thinking, wow, Billingsley is going to have to pick it up probably as a receiver. Instead, it's actually Cameron Latou at tight end that goes for 102 receiving yards. So whatever the reason, it just never clicked for Jalil Billingsley in year three. And you heard Nick Saban on multiple occasions throughout the season, essentially call into question the maturity level. Jalil Billingsley and his ability or inability to do the things that have to be done on a daily basis to take that next step to become the player so many people think Jalil Billingsley can still become and hopefully wherever he lands uh, that happens for him and he fulfills his potential because it did not happen during his junior season at the University of Alabama. Also From a depth perspective on the offensive side of the ball, Tommy Brown, a career reserve veteran offensive lineman from modern day high school, same high school that produced for Alabama, quarterback Bryce Young, uh, Tommy Brown looking to move on. So the Southern Californian, we'll see. Maybe Tommy Brown thinks, I'm going to get back to the West Coast. You've got Lincoln Riley taking over at Hometown USC. You've got, obviously, UCLA there. You've got ties that he has established during his time at Alabama with coaching staffs that are now in place at other Power 5 programs around college football, including the University of Texas with Steve Sarkeesian, just connecting some potential dots here for the six foot seven Tommy Brown. You saw him in the game Monday night at left guard on the field goal PAT team when Georgia got the block there in the third quarter of the 48-yard field goal attempt by Will Reichard. Georgia sent two guys up the A-gap there between the long snapper and Brown and were able to get the block. But Tommy Brown can play for somebody. This is a versatile guy who, during his time at Alabama, has worked at tackle. He has worked at guard. Uh, There's a a value. There's a premium on versatile offensive linemen, and I think Tommy Brown will be a popular option on the transfer portal market. So there you go. The Alabama players that we knew of, or had gone public anyway, as of Tuesday evening, where the transfer portal is concerned, again, Again, prepare yourself. You know, this is the new normal in college football. The portal's going to give guys like Elias Ricks, guys like Jameer Gibbs, who have already announced and have already gone and taken the steps to join the Alabama program from LSU and Georgia Tech, respectively. And guys are going to use that revolving door going the other way as well. 
especially with the one-time transfer rule, in effect, with the freedom of movement you have now in the transfer market. Guys are going to be moving earlier and more frequently during their collegiate careers. So there you go. Transfer portal updates, a little bit of coaching uh, news and possibilities anyway for the Alabama staff looking ahead to the coming days. And as we move forward, again, we're going to talk about some of the grades that we handed out for Alabama, Georgia on Tuesday evening there at BamaOnline.com. We'll go positionally here. Start with Bryce Young at the quarterback position. It was a school record 57 pass attempts for Bryce in the loss. You know, Bryce was victimized by multiple drops, including one in the end zone by Cameron Latou, another on what may have been a touchdown to Jai Hall there uh, had he been able to hold on the freshman wide receiver, perfectly thrown ball while Young was under duress. And we talked about this on Instant Analysis late Monday night following the game, but you saw some of the inexperience, some of the the lack of continuity with the replacements at wide receivers show up uh, a couple of different times because you had multiple receivers in the same area, including on Bryce's second interception of the game there, the one in the fourth quarter that was returned for a touchdown by the University of Georgia. So I went with a C-plus for Bryce. I thought Bryce ultimately did everything he could with Jamison Williams out, with John Mechie out, to lift the level of play of everyone around him, including his offensive line, by trying to extend plays, including on the one touchdown pass he threw where he scrambled to his right, threw across his body to Latou there, just across the goal line for a touchdown that gave Alabama its last lead in the game. Running backs, Brian Robinson pretty much the showcase option there. A couple of carries for Trey Sanders in support of Brian. Brian with 68 rushing yards on 22 carries. So not a especially explosive night for Brian Robinson in his final game with the Alabama Crimson Tide. He had the 16-yard run there in the third quarter. It was his only run of 10 yards or more in the game. Second half did some really good things as a receiver. Four catches for 28 yards. I think a couple of those were the 12-yard variety. So did some nice things in terms of scrimmage yards, did some nice things in terms of pass protection. But as I wrote in the lead-up to the game and five predictions for Alabama-Georgia 2, scrimmage yards were going to be important for running backs on both sides in this game. And with that big second half from the Georgia side of things, the Bulldogs had a pretty decisive edge in that area. Receivers, again, with Jamison Williams out, you're looking at really a rotation, top of the rotation, that evolves into Slade Bolden, Ja'Cory Brooks, Treshawn Holden, Ajay Hall. And between those four guys, they combine to catch 21 balls for 171 yards. That comes out to just 8.1 yards Per reception, Hall's two catches did go for 24 and 28. What I liked about Ajay is that he showed you in the national championship game some of the same things you saw from him in the A-Day game back in April. In other words, whether it was a spring game or the biggest game in college football, he still was able to do some of the same type of things. And when I talk about that, I'm referring to more in the vertical game 
He had the 28-yard reception on the corner route. And then after the catch, he had a nice catch and run in the game. But other than that, explosive plays were pretty much limited to Cameron Latou, who had the 61-yard catch and run in the second quarter. Again, otherwise, guys with you know four or five catches like Slade Bolden, Treshawn Holden, Ja'Cory Brooks, but just not much in the way in terms of yards per catch. And Jalil Billingsley in his final game, assuming he is moving on, seeing as how he entered the transfer portal on Tuesday, just not a performance to, to go out on that would be considered memorable. He had a third down target in the first quarter um, where he slipped and wasn't able to keep his footing. Alabama has to settle for a field goal there. And then he was beaten pretty badly for a tackle for loss by Georgia outside linebacker Nolan Smith in the third quarter. I went with a C for the receivers. By the way, for the running backs, I went with a B, as in B-Rob. Offensive line for Alabama. He had three sacks for Georgia in the game, but you know, considering you had 60-plus dropbacks for Bryce Young, I don't think that total is exactly surprising. Uh, best work in the run game. Alabama had success with that outside zone to Brian Robinson. You know, Gave him enough room and and gave him an alley where he could make that decisive cut, get downfield, and punish some second-level defenders. Um, The problem came more so inside the 10 or in the red zone, where Alabama, by choice in some instances, decided to throw the football. But, you know, even in some runs inside the Georgia 10, B-Rob wasn't able to get much going. Three runs inside the 10 of Georgia for seven yards, wasn't a big night in terms of penalties for the Alabama offensive line. You had the one false start against Chris Owens, uh, but relatively clean otherwise. I went with a C there. I credit the opposition more than fans typically do, so that comes into play. When I look at positions and do grading, I, I actually consider the opposition. Georgia very good in that front seven. You knew that going in. You knew it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, And again, for the number of pass attempts, three sacks, uh, from my perspective, wasn't exactly a a through-the-roof kind of number. Defensive line for Alabama moving over to that side of the ball. I thought Alabama's front held up pretty well, especially through the first three quarters. Nothing in the way for in terms of tackles for loss for Alabama in the game. And the first half did exactly what it needed to do. Uh, Solid setting edges. Uh, maintaining gaps, freeing up those linebackers like Christian Harris and Dallas Turner to make some plays. Georgia with just 26 rushing yards in the first half, but then the dogs carry 17 times in the second half for 114 yards. Had a couple of explosive runs in that second half from running backs James Cook and also Zamir White. Uh, but no, again, no TFLs, and no, no sacks from the front of Stetson Bennett in the game. And then you had the the encroachment, the offsides penalty on Tim Smith there in the fourth quarter that resulted in the free play for Bennett, who proceeded to go deep and hit the 40-yard touchdown pass to give Georgia a lead it would not relinquish. Another C where I'm looking at the defensive line. Linebackers, the aforementioned Harris and Turner, very uh, very productive in terms of negative plays, both with a couple of sacks. In fact, Alabama's four sacks in the game, two apiece 
for inside linebacker Christian Harris and outside linebacker Dallas Turner. Of course, Harris's second sack of Stetson Bennett resulted in that fourth quarter fumble that was recovered nonchalantly, as it were, by Brian Branch at the Georgia 16. That set up Alabama's lone touchdown of the game. Christian really helped set the tone. He set the tone in the game in Atlanta against Georgia as well. Had a big hit on James Cook early in that game in the SEC championship. And then on Monday night, you know, he has the sack of Stetson Bennett there to open that first possession for the Bulldogs. Uh, But still, Zamir White again and James Cook combined 135 rushing yards in the second half. For Will Anderson, his first game without a tackle for loss since, guess which game? Texas A&M. Alabama's only other loss of the season. So Will Anderson in 15 games in 2021 during the season – 13 of those, he has a tackle for loss. The only two, he doesn't have a TFL. Alabama's two losses. And that's not to say that Will still wasn't extremely active. He was. Uh, Will Anderson made an impact on the football game. There was a tackle for loss that you had on Ladd McConkie of Georgia there in the second half in the fourth quarter on that reverse attempt that Georgia ran that, you know, Will went a long way in blowing that up. But more so with the big play production of Harris and Turner in mind, I went with a B- minus for the linebackers. As far as the secondary is concerned, when it came right down to it, and Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense needed it the most, they challenged those inexperienced corners for Alabama. Kool-Aid McKinstry and Kyrie Jackson, both those guys were put to the test there in the fourth quarter. And after Alabama took the lead, at 18 to 13 in the fourth quarter, Georgia needed just four plays to cover 75 yards on the possession that ensued for the dogs. And Bennett got that going with that outcut to Jermaine Burton, a very nice route from Burton that got Kool Aid sort of turned around out there. And then Bennett takes a shot at Kyrie Jackson, who commits a pass interference penalty. Both McKinstry and Jackson were flagged for pass interference in the game. And then, of course, what proved to be really the game winner on the deep ball that Kyrie Jackson was in coverage there uh, and couldn't make the play in the end zone. Uh, And you also had some run support issues. And this isn't to put all of this on Kool-Aid McKinstry and Kyrie Jackson because George Pickens in the first half for Georgia had a 52-yard catch. And if you watch the play – you can see where Kool-Aid is expecting some help, some deep help from the safety. Look like maybe Jordan Battle. One of those safeties got caught up on a crossing route and maybe even some run action that started it all. And with that, it was Pickens uh, without anyone for Alabama taking away the inside, able to make the catch on the 52-yard grab there uh, in the first quarter. I went D-plus for the Alabama secondary on Monday night. Finally, special teams. Talked about this after the game Monday night, too. The good news, Will Reichard kicked a career-high four field goals in the game. The bad news is that three of those were of the red zone variety. We talked about it earlier. His only other attempt in the game, well, his fifth attempt in the game, a 48-yarder in the third quarter, that one was blocked after the Dogs got that aforementioned pressure 
right up the A gap to the post side of the formation. And we talked about this Monday night, late Monday night as well. Kickoffs continue to be, uh, for some reason, a, a bit of an adventure. And you know, Alabama was helped by a holding penalty on a 59-yard return by Kenny McIntosh for UGA. But you know, the very next kickoff, Alabama trying to keep it away from McIntosh kicks the ball out of bounds altogether. And you know, the only punt return possibility you really had in the game went out the window after Slade Bolden muffed the punt and immediately had to fall right back on his mistake for the recovery. I went with another D plus there for special teams as well. So there you go. Some football talk to get you going on a Wednesday of the transfer portal variety of the coaching variety of the grading variety where Monday night's championship game loss to Georgia is concerned. You already see him, by the way, right? Alabama in these early odds for the 2022 season, Alabama already considered the favorite to win it all. A seventh national championship under Nick Saban, it would be in 2022. You know where that national championship game's being played too, right? In a year's time. Playing that baby at SoFi Stadium. In L.A., five, six billion dollar stadium home to the Los Angeles Chargers and the Los Angeles Rams and Southern California, also home to Bryce Young. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Could Bryce Young's final game at Alabama be played right there in his backyard at SoFi Stadium? Not too crazy to think. Early. Still a lot of things to figure out. Still a revolving door situation where players leaving, players coming are concerned. You're still trying to wrap up this 2022 recruiting cycle. A lot of things to consider. Coaching staff, uh, situations to ponder moving forward. And speaking of ponder, when we come back from this break, we're going to ponder the latest performance for the Alabama men's basketball program on the Bama Online podcast right after this. Hey, I told you many times before about the great, great folks at Home Field Apparel. And look, if Alabama had to lose in the national championship game against Georgia Monday night, I'm glad that some close friends of mine, at least, were adorned during the game in home field apparel featuring those Georgia Bulldogs. That's right. Any team, pretty much, in college athletics, you're going to find there at homefieldapparel.com, including, most recently, the University of Montana and Montana State now you can find at home field apparel. And you say, well, Travis, who who cares about those schools? Well, the oldest of ours, our son Evan, recently lived in Montana for two years. Now, he's an Alabama alum, so he's already got his Alabama gear from Home Field Apparel. But now, he's going to check in with the good folks at homefieldapparel.com, and he's going to get in on that Grizz apparel for Montana, or the Bobcats of Montana State, the FCS runner-up Montana State Bobcats for 2021. So, They can take great care of you. Obviously, our focus here is on the Alabama Crimson Tide and so many cool designs, so many unique designs for Alabama gear there at Home Field Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com. I can't implore you enough. If you haven't already, use that first-time code 
of Bama247 on that first purchase at homefieldapparel.com, you're going to get 15% off that initial purchase at Homefield and homefieldapparel.com. Do it today. Bama247, 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. Back to talk some Alabama men's hoops on the Bama Online podcast as the Crimson Tide of Nate Oates falls to the Auburn Tigers Tuesday night at Coleman Coliseum by a score of 81-77. to A fierce comeback for the Crimson Tide, which trailed 73-59 with 7.57 to go following a three-pointer by Auburn's outstanding foot ten freshman Jabari Smith. Crimson Tide down 14 at that point, but here came Alabama, thanks in large part to an absolutely thunderous tomahawk jam by its own five-star freshman, that of course being J.D. Davison. J.D.'s dunk cut the Auburn lead to five at 73-68. to Jaden Shackelford follows up with a three to cut the lead to two at 73-71. And then a dunk by Darius Miles with 4.04 left in the game. And what do you know? We're tied up at 73-73. The teams battled on, tied at 77 with about a minute left to go in the basketball game, and there's a 50-50 ball on the offensive end for Alabama. Unfortunately, Keon Ellis not able to come up with that loose basketball. Allen Flanagan for Auburn does instead. Keon immediately fouls Allen Flanagan. Didn't want to, but he did nonetheless, at least in the eyes of the officiating crew. And Flanagan knocks down two free throws with 54 seconds left to give the Tigers a two-point lead. Really just lacking execution for Alabama across the board on both ends of the floor there in that final minute. Flanagan hits two more free throws with 19 seconds to go to give us the final margin of Auburn 81, Alabama 77. So a little too little, a little too late for an Alabama team that frankly throughout the game was beaten to the punch by an Auburn team, very talented, led by Jabari Smith, who had 25 points on 8 of 14 shooting. This is a guy, again, at six foot 10, shouldn't be able to do the things he does, but knocked down three threes. He had seven rebounds as well. Four blocks for Jabari Smith, who might very well be the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Other scoring for the Tigers, Katie Johnson from the guard position, very aggressive, a slasher in terms of getting to the bucket. Walker Kessler, the post for Auburn, was kept in check largely due to foul trouble that he encountered in the game. The SEC's leading shot blocker played just 13 minutes in the game, five fouls, two points, two rebounds, didn't have a block shot, three turnovers. So that was a stat line you were looking for if you're Alabama where Walker Kessler is concerned, but Alabama, again, a little bit too inconsistent throughout the game. Something that has plagued this team to this point in the season, and now as it sits at 2-2 in SEC play following the loss. Foul trouble, speaking of which, from the Alabama perspective, that was a problem for Jawan Gary. Played just six minutes in the game and really had his hands full with Jabari Smith. Not a knock on Jawan because Jabari Smith 
is an absolute matchup nightmare for pretty much anybody on the floor. Shackelford with a rush late ends up scoring 13 points, seven rebounds in the game for the guard. Charles Bediaco battling with Kessler and those Auburn posts throughout the night, but just 14 minutes for Bediaco. And that's a low minute count for him, considering he didn't have a foul in the game. This wasn't a situation where Betty Ako ran into early foul trouble and had his minutes limited. Uh, it just worked better, it seemed, with Noah Gurley off the bench, who did play 26 minutes while stretching at the five and playing some of the four. 11 points for Gurley in the game on three of six shooting. You knew three-point shooting was going to be a big part of the backdrop for this game. Freeze. Threes and freeze, as we outlined for you there on three predictions for Alabama-Auburn going into the game at BamaOnline.com. Thought these teams would combine for no fewer than 53-point attempts in the game. They got up 57. 7 of 31 for Alabama, 7 of 26 for Auburn, and then also felt like the two teams would combine for no fewer than 40 free throw attempts. Uh, They got up 51 total. Alabama goes 24 of 29 from the free throw line at 82.8%. Ends up losing, including 14 of of 17 in the second half. But points in the paint go to the Tigers, 40 to 32. Uh, Fast break points go to the Tigers at 19 to 14. So rebounding was pretty much even throughout the game. Alabama a little bit of a slow start on the offensive glass, but ends up edging the Tigers on the offensive boards by one. Turnovers, eh, pretty much a wash. Alabama with 12 in the game. Auburn with 13. And again, Alabama actually outscored Auburn by 10 at the free throw line, and the two teams were even from three. But it is Auburn that gets the job done. Alabama over the last four minutes and four seconds of the basketball game no field goals. One of their last 10 from the field was Alabama. Fortunately for the Crimson Tide, and credit to the Alabama defense for some of this, Auburn just one of its last nine from the field in the game. So felt like first to 80 would win, as we outlined there in three predictions for the game at BOL, and Auburn was first and only to 80 in the game in an 81-77 to Victory. The Crimson Tide now will shift its focus to a road trip, quick trip, over to Starkville to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs who are coming off a road loss at Ole Miss last weekend. Uh, Missed a game, did Mississippi State midweek a week ago due to COVID issues with Missouri. So Mississippi State hosting Alabama at the hump. Friday, excuse me, Saturday evening, 5 o'clock tip-off Central. That game will air on the SEC Network. If you're wondering about the rematch with Auburn, we're still a couple couple of weeks away from that. You're going to have Alabama at Auburn on a Tuesday night, and that will be a game in which Alabama is coming off a Saturday home game against top five Baylor, actually top-ranked Baylor going into uh, Tuesday night, but Baylor upset at home by Texas Tech. You had some upsets around college basketball. Alabama was actually favored by three over the Auburn Tigers, so even if the Crimson Tide had won, I don't know if we could call 25 over four an upset. Not at least in the eyes of the odds makers and the betting 
Republic. So Alabama will look to get on track coming up on Saturday at Mississippi State. Suddenly, that becomes a big, big game during the early portion of the SEC schedule. Got to replace a grade after that F at Missouri last weekend if you're Alabama. If you're going to drop one like that, you got to go get one like either Tuesday night against Auburn and you drop a home game on top of the road loss at Missouri. Uh, you got to replace a grade. And so Mississippi State would be a good place to go ahead and start that process if you're Nate Oates and his team. And what about Auburn postgame doing the John Mechie? Javari Smith and some of the Kang. Hey, to the winners uh, go the uh, spoils or whatever it is, right? Something like that. But uh, maybe some motivation for this Alabama team looking ahead to the rematch with Auburn down on the Plains in a couple of weeks' time. As always, appreciate you joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Again, if you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Wherever you consume your podcast, that's where you're going to find us. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. Keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. We got you covered on all things Alabama Crimson Tide. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.